Why did Jesus talk about fishing for people? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. Brian, we are continuing our distance recording of this show. You know, it's been going pretty well for us so far. We've got a good rhythm. Well, I I would let the listeners be the judge of that. Okay, from my perspective, (laughs) it's going pretty well. Um, Our listeners haven't complained that much so that's a plus Um, (laughs) you know and uh and today we are continuing our journey through the gospels and so over the next few months we are walking through the earthly life and ministry of jesus up through his um his death and resurrection and to his ascension so it's it's a really fun time we're um we're getting closer and closer to some of the real uh, some pretty meaty stuff that's happening um for now we're still kind of in the the early phases and the and the setup there and today we get to talk about Jesus calling some of his first disciples, um, something that we see in a few different passages in the Gospels. Uh, Today, we're going to be focusing on Luke's account of that. So, uh, Brian, how about we, how about you give us a a quick look at where this falls in Jesus' life and ministry? Yeah, again, and just just to be clear, we're looking at at Luke 5, as you just said, and uh, when you read the Gospels, together, you will see it's not a clear one and done Jesus calls the, the disciples. You see it occurring several times. Add to that the, uh, the the reminder that we have to continue giving that the Gospels were not written in chronological order. The Gospel writers were not concerned about presenting content in chronological order as much as they were presenting it in a way that the themes, the truths resonate and connect with our hearts and our minds. So it kind of, it's hard sometimes to figure out a kind of where things are happening. So here in Luke 5, you know, you read like my heading here in the, in the CSB, I'm looking at it says the first disciples. It makes it seem like this is the first time Jesus has called them. Mm-hmm. He, he's come across these guys for the first time and he's saying, hey, come follow me. That may not have been the case. Uh, if you look at some harmonies, for example, uh, it seems like, John's early chapters, John 1, 2, 3, even 4, maybe even into 5, mm-hmm. uh, precede this according to some people's understanding of a timeline. And if you look there, that means that, <clears throat> sorry, that means at this point, Jesus may have already performed some miracles. Uh, the first miracle of water to wine, for example. He may have had some encounters with people such as Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman back in in the Gospel of John. And he may even have invited these disciples to follow him before this. And this may be a second invitation to follow him, a more substantial perhaps. Maybe uh, before this, they, they had this idea of following him, maybe spent some time with him locally, but weren't traveling with him. Mm-hmm. And from this point forward, maybe they begin to travel more in earnest with him. So... 
again, it's it's hard to pinpoint where this happens exactly, but I think we'd be safe to, to assume, again, this is early on in the ministry, but not the very front of it. Some ministry probably has happened to this point. And again, one of the things that we, we always really want to emphasize when we're, when we're looking at the Gospels, although there, um, there definitely is an element, a chronological element, particularly in Luke, um, because he was striving to tell an orderly account. Um, there is a there is a theological thematic purpose behind every gospel writer, and so we we need to hold our chronology our our understanding of the chronolo- chronology loosely, um, and um, while holding really firmly to the theological intent. So it could well be that this is directly parallel to some of the other the other accounts that um it, yeah, it could be. that are happening. And again, Luke kind of gives us a clue. You know, this is chapter 5. Um, yeah. and if you if you turn back a couple of pages, you'll see a rejection at Nazareth and so forth. You'll see some healings. So Luke even seems to say, "Hey, again, He's not worried about strict chronology, but you're right. He is a little bit more focused on one. And so he kind of hints, hey, this is not at the very start of the ministry. Some time has passed between the baptism and temptation of Jesus and this calling. Yeah. Now, um, in light of all all of that, um, thinking about thinking about this passage, what are some questions that we should ask and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and start by answering okay. that question myself because <laughs> it's the one that I love to talk uh, that I love the most it's just a it's just a it's just this fun weird moment where you um, go ahead and talk about I'm gonna go get a pop tart I'll be back that sounds good that sounds good so uh, right at the beginning of of this Jesus sees um, sees several of the men who are going to become his, not just his disciples, but his apostles. And um, among them is Peter, John, James, and Andrew. <laughs> um, and so he calls to them and he, and he, and he says, come follow me. And depending on your translation, it either says, and I'll teach you to fish for people. Or it says that I, um, I will make you fishers of men. And, um, the language there is just really funny. And so what what why does he say this? Why does he say I'm going to I'm going to teach you how to fish for people um or to be fishers of men? And it's like, well, there's there's kind of a twofold reason. One is honestly, Jesus is making a a bit of a pun. Um yeah. because these guys were literally fishermen. And so he he's making a funny and um that is an important although that's that's a minor point it's still important that humor is not something that should be foreign to the christian um, no, and it, it reminds us of, of jesus's humanity yeah sometimes we have this idea of this sterile stoic jesus and there are times like this one where and there are some other accounts where it's like, all right, no, he. I think he was having a little bit of fun here. Yeah, yeah, he's being. It it, it comes across re- a little bit cheeky, um, and 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 in in a lighthearted, friendly kind of way, and uh, but so so that's one thing. It's like, guys, it's okay for us to make a joke. If um, there are kinds of jokes we probably shouldn't make, but that's yeah. a different kind of conversation. Um, but but humor generally is a good thing. So, uh, being, if you like funny, 
be be of good cheer. You you certainly can be funny because Jesus was funny. Now, more importantly, though, he w- what he was doing here was he was making his making the mission clear that the call to discipleship is to is a call to be a disciple making disciple. And that's really, really important for us to keep in mind um, because disciple making is not simply an evangelistic call. Um, That is, we're not told to go and make converts. Um, It is something that is much, much deeper. Um, We are to help one another learn what it means to follow Jesus. And so that means encouraging one another, challenging one another, um, bearing one another's burdens, um, as as scripture says elsewhere. Um, All of these kinds of things. And yes, it does include sharing the gospel with people who have not heard it. And and so that, that is a part of it, but it's more than that. Yeah, I, I, it's often been said that discipleship and evangelism are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not at odds. They, 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 you need both. You can't have discipleship without evangelism, but you can't have evangelism without discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so they both work hand in hand. They're both they they're both complete together. It's when we try to parse them, we get into issues. Yeah, I think another question here that we see is focused on Peter. Why did he respond the way he did? So Jesus comes up. He says, hey, guys, put down your nets for a, a catch. And and Peter says, man, we, we've worked for so long. We haven't caught anything. But, okay, if you insist. And, and here you see kind of Peter. I can kind of see him kind of rolling his eyes, saying, all right, here he comes. This guy doesn't know fishing. We are the experts, and he's going to tell us how to do this, mm-hmm. which kind of goes back to his comment before, I'm going to make you fisher, fishers of men. Kind of, the, I think he's playing back with that. Um but so Peter and, and the disciples agree, and of course they catch this huge haul of fish. And then we read that Peter, upon seeing this catch, says, Go away from me, speaking to Jesus, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Luke 5, 8. I love that expression. One of the first, pa- I think this is the first sermon I ever preached was on this, um, way back when I was a youth pastor a long, long time ago. Um, but that expression, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, why did Peter respond the way he did? And I think verse nine starts to clue us in. We read there four, which is because they were amazed by this catch of fish. So Peter is amazed by what he had experienced. This miracle that he saw prompted him to understand something about who he was and more importantly, who Jesus was and is. And I think here we often give Peter some flack because he can be clueless he puts his foot in his mouth, his mouth quite often, but here we've got to give him some credit that it seems like he's recognizing, although imperfectly, that Jesus is not a mere man. We, we see Peter has a flash of understanding that Jesus was divine. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we have to be careful. It's not fully laid out, of course. This is early on in the ministry. Peter has a lot of learning to do. He's going to get tripped up later several times, uh, but... It seems like he's understanding, at least to a degree, that he is he is encountering somebody who's holy, somebody who's different. And when he encounters Jesus in, in and sees him as this holy person, it requires that he recognizes his unholiness. Mm-hmm. Um, God's greatness magnifies our weakness. And Peter, to his credit, responds properly here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a sinner. I do not deserve to be in your presence. Uh, 
that is so important as we're going to talk about when it comes to the gospel. Yeah. Well, and and really the the call to discipleship in part means that they're being called to be with him all of the time. Um, that was something that was, was important with, with that kind of that student teacher relationship that existed yeah. in their culture was they were, they were together learning everything about everything from their teacher. Um, and so, so that's a question that, that would also come out of this passage is what did it look like for them to follow Jesus? And so they're traveling with him most of the time they're learning with him all of the time. And, um, they were being set apart, um, from a lot of different people who had, uh, temporary encounters who had brief moments where they, they got to engage with Jesus on a, on, on one level, but then were significantly, um, but they, you know, they got to spend so much more time with Jesus. They got to ask him questions that no one yeah. else could ask. They got to learn things uh, directly in a way that no one else could. Um, and so this was a, this was a big deal. The, yeah. And I was going to say, it's, you know, again, just like sometimes we have this flat view of Jesus, this, this stoic, you know, monolithic Jesus that's incorrect. I think sometimes we we have a similar understanding of all the people in the scripture. They either were equal in following Jesus or they were equally against him. Um, and and we have to be careful not to do that. So we have his core disciples and even even his, his 12 disciples who followed him. You had an inner core of three beyond mm-hmm. that. But they had more ongoing, frequent encounters. But then Jesus also had some other followers who were not following to that extent. Some mm-hmm. other friends. Think of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, for example. Dear friends of Jesus's. Then you had some people who had maybe one or two encounters with him. Just kind of a, uh, a one-time thing. Think, think again of Nicodemus and so forth. So we have to be careful that not everybody followed Jesus the, to the same degree mm-hmm. as we see in the, in the gospel. Yeah. And a- another question that um, we should be asking as well is also why these guys? Yeah. And, uh, be, and the answer is because they didn't deserve it. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like, you know, you were, you made the point we give, we give Peter a lot of flack a lot of times and quite often it's very well deserved, but it's deserved of all of us because none of yes. us actually are worthy of following Jesus, but he is the one who makes us worthy. Yes. So. Yeah, that's so important. He chose intentionally this misfit band of followers. Um, not a one would we look at and say, yeah, that was a good choice, except it's been said often Judas. I mean, <laughs> you look, Judas had the most going for him from an earthly perspective of of forming followers and look what happened with him. But you have a tax collector, fisherman, untrained, mm-hmm. you know, you got a zealot. So probably a fiery kind of temperamental kind of guy there. Uh, yeah. Political um, rebel uh, or yeah. political rebel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you choose you, and you'd be like, that's really the team you're going with. And it's beautiful that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't choose the experts. He didn't choose theologians. He didn't choose uh, royalty and, and, and wealthy and, and so forth. He chose pretty much people that we would not expect because our salvation is the same way. I can't believe God chose me. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and that really leads into uh, leads into our, our next question, which is really, how does this encounter with Jesus? How does him calling his first disciples? How does that point us to the gospel? Yeah, we kind of said this, but just to kind of tie a ribbon on it, I think there's two main ideas that are related. The first one is we see here that Jesus is the Son of God. He's he's worthy of our total allegiance. Uh, that encounter that or that, that statement that Peter makes. Um, he's recognizing, no, this is not a mere man. This is not a political leader or political Messiah. This is, this is the son of God. He is, he is Mm -hmm. God in the flesh who has come and he deserves to be followed. Uh, we should want to follow this man. But the other, uh, in, in relation to that is, is again, this reminds us that the gospel at its core requires that we first grasp our sinfulness, our need for salvation so that we can then trust in Jesus to be forgiven this this son of god this this uh this messiah who has come to pay our sin penalty on our behalf so i mean in this brief encounter we have this great picture of the gospel laid bare mhm we do absolutely now let's think about this passage from from the the perspective of well being disciples <laughs> and uh so what kind of guidance could we offer someone else who is walking through this passage with another person um whether that is parents at home um you know if you know you know in a in an adult small group context or or whatever that looks like yeah, I think the first one is um, we have to think carefully about what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a disciple. And we're going to be talking about this a lot more, of course, because Jesus talked about this a great deal because it, it matters a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here we start to get on the radar, especially if we're walking somebody through maybe the life of Jesus. And, and this is early on. This is maybe one of the first times they encounter this idea of following, of being a disciple. And so I think we have to be clear that our calling is the same. Mm-hmm. Jesus calls us all to the same thing, to die to ourselves, to follow him. However, what that looks like in practice can often look different from person to person because we're gifted differently. God designs to use us differently. We're in different contexts, uh, different relationships and so forth. So what we don't want to do is force somebody into a mold, a false mold of what we believe a disciple should be or look like. Now, again, there are general truths, turning from sin, for example, living for Christ, sharing our faith, studying scripture. There are definitely general patterns that are universal for all of us as followers. Yeah. But there, there's also a lot of place. There's, <clears throat> sorry, but there's also a lot of elbow room for understanding that God wants to use each of us as individuals. We're not widgets. We're not interchangeable widgets. Um, we are unique. He created us that way. And so for me, this reminds me that, man, when I'm discipling somebody, when I'm teaching somebody, I really need to be cognizant of their unique opportunity to serve God in a different way and encourage that, encourage them to pursue that and then edify them and celebrate them as they continue to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and part of that, I mean, I mean, just think about Think about who who you're close to as um, who's a who's a fellow follower of Jesus. So, um, you know, Brian and I we have some very very similar um, characteristics in terms of um, 
you know, attitude, gift, gifts, interests, but they're not identical no. um, at all. <laughs> and, and that's okay. My wife and I, we both, we both love Jesus. We both follow Jesus, but, um, but we're gifted very differently as well, but we still have the same, we still have the same goal in mind, which is yeah. becoming more like him. Well, think about how, how weak the church, and Paul talks about this, the mm-hmm. body, we're different parts. Think about how weak the church would be if everybody were like you and me. I mean, we I mean, need to have a terrible more, sense of humor. I'm telling you, and we need people with more of a heart, uh, you know, love for people. <laughs> um, you know, I love people, but man, there are people out there who love a lot better than we do. Well, I mean, you, you really love it to social distance. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you just think about you know, the, the areas, the so many areas where we are weak on, for example, yeah. and there are other believers who are strong. And then hopefully there are areas that we're strong in that we can help others where they're weak. That's the beautiful truth of, of the body of Christ. And, um, and again, just recognizing that is so important. Yeah. And that really leads to the, to the last thing that we would want to recommend that you that you consider in terms of guidance is is really to think through what opportunities God has given each of us individually and collectively to fulfill this ministry of being a disciple um, to that to that point we we are all made differently we all fulfill a different function and and God is glorified through all of that the mission that God has called us to is only complete when we are all doing that together. Brian, I think that is a good place for us to to wrap this up for today. So thanks for chatting, and uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.